So last week, we talked about growing up, and here you are sitting on the front row with a shirt that says, never grow up. I feel like that's just rebellious defiance to the word. I'm just kidding. Totally just called you out. Uh, we talked about this idea of, of maturing, of taking next steps. And we asked the question, what does it look like to actually follow Jesus? Like, what does it look like to look like Jesus? Which is a weird question. If that's what the word Christian means, if that's what the calling is, if that's, if the job description is look like Jesus, well, what does that mean? Right? We have these pictures of what Jesus looked like, and almost all of our pictures are really far from what he looked like. Jesus was not European. Most of our pictures of Jesus, he's white. I hate to break it to you, that's, that's not real, right? Most of our pictures of Jesus, he was tall. He probably wasn't very tall. Apparently he had a beard. So that part of the picture apparently is right. What does it look like to live like Jesus? We, we really only have one verse of scripture that seems to serve as like the summary of the ordinary life of Jesus. Before the miracles, before the, the public ministry began. And I, just as a quick review, you don't have to turn there, but we looked at, at this one verse last week. Luke chapter 2, verse number 52. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and mankind. He increased. It's this awesome picture word of clearing the debris, the, the tour guide who was clearing the brushwood so that you could keep moving forward. And so what we said last week is, what does it look like to follow Jesus? It's just keep taking the next steps. Well, then the question is, well, in what area of life? And the answer is yes. <laughs> If, if we look at this as kind of a, a rubric for next steps, Jesus grew in wisdom. We called that thinking health. Like his mind was set towards healthy things. He, he grew in stature. He grew in his physical health. He grew in favor with God. Again, I'm not completely sure how God grew in favor with God, but I know what it looks like for us to grow in favor with God. And he, his relational health, not just his spiritual health, but his relational health, health, favor with man, which is also the bridge to our emotional health. All emotional health falls under the category of my relationship with others or my relationship with myself. We gave you some latitude to, to fill in the blank as well with what's kind of the pain point in your life today. What, what's the other area where you're needing some next steps? Is it is in your marriage or in your family relationship? Is it with your job? Is it with your finances? This idea of examining what is God doing? What's the work of grace with next steps in my life? And I want to start off by, by kind of circling back to this idea. We can't be struggling in one of those areas without feeling disconnected in all of them. Life's actually not that compartmentalized. And some of us in this room are really good at compartmentalizing our emotions but none of us are as good as we think we are at compartmentalizing reality. Because we all share the same identity. We're all image bearers. We all bear the image of a holy God. The Shema, the, the incredibly powerful passage of scripture from Deuteronomy that's sort of like the foundation text for, for our, our, our thoughts here as a church about what it looks like to follow God. It starts by saying, hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. He's a singular being. 
That's why whenever our health is bad, sometimes our relationships are affected. Hangry, anyone? Here's the thing. If I've got the flu, I don't expect my quiet time that morning to be like magical. Right? If I have a quiet time that morning, I'm probably just in bed going, whatever. Because one affects the other. We're, we're a whole being. It's all connected. The, the hope is that maybe this week you took a couple minutes and asked the God of grace, what's your grace doing in all of my life? What are the things you're doing in the next steps that you're calling me to and growing me into? If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to, to hop on our YouTube channel and listen to last week's sermon and kind of walk through that practice that, that we encourage you to do. Um, I think it could bear way more fruit than, than the lofty New Year's resolutions we burden ourselves with. Maybe this can be a little better fresh start for us uh, to let the text kind of drive the conversation. What are the next steps God is calling us to. I want to kind of hone in, because I'm your pastor, on our spiritual health this morning. And talk about some specific next steps I'm asking us to take together as a church family in this next little chapter of the story. In this next step on the journey. So please grab your Bible this morning. If you don't have one, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you today. Uh, But we're going to invite you to join with us in our tradition. Let's hold up our Bibles. Let's declare our creed this morning with some conviction and some passion. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The context of the text this morning, we're just going to look at one verse again, same as we did last week. But the context of the text, even actually uh, back into the end of chapter 3, is about the concept of rest for God's people. The concept of true rest, like soul-level rest. Anybody in need of some soul-level rest today? Like, we just need a spirit of Sabbath in our culture. Like, the pace we're moving at, do do we really experience rest? Sometimes we get a day off, but is that rest? The the, the context of of the end of Hebrews chapter 3 and the beginning of Hebrews chapter 4 is this idea of rest. And in the midst of this discussion about rest, we have this discussion about the purpose, the, the, the concept, the idea of the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That's why there's been a sword on stage the last two weeks. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. For a few moments, I want us to walk through this verse together, and then we're going to land at a real practical place where I'm going to challenge you to join us in some next steps. 
But I want to talk about the, the, the idea of what this book is this morning. So the first thing, again, if, if, if you're the note taker, type or whatever, I, I just want to focus on this idea of the word of God. The word, every week we say the Bible is the word of God. And I wonder sometimes if we say that so frequently, we've lost the concept of, of the weight of that. God speaks, things happen. There's all of creation history in four words. God speaks, things happen. If you've ever struggled to memorize all of Genesis chapter 1, there's your cheat code. God speaks, things happen. And we believe that so much as God reveals himself, things happen, that Jesus himself gets called the capital W word. The word of God. Those of us who had older siblings, every now and then our our older sibling would tell us what to do. And we would reply with something really mature, like, you're not the boss of me. And then they would say, well, mom said so. And then you're like, oh, well, shoot. (laughs) Guess I got to do it. Because they weren't speaking in their word. They're speaking in a word that carried a different authority. And I just want to say this this morning, and this is one of those things that feels like maybe it doesn't need to be said, but I feel compelled to say it, so I'm trying to trust the Holy Spirit in this. The Word of God are actually the only words that really matter. You're not here for my words. And by the way, I hope you won't ever pick another church based on the words of the person who does most of the communication. I got lots of words. But not a single one of them can change your life unless I'm quoting God's words, which is really kind of my job description is to unpack God's word. We, we've got a lot of people saying a lot of things with a lot of authority right now. There's one word that's supposed to rule the day. That's supposed to rule our hearts. That's supposed to rule our decision making. And it's only the words of God. I talk about this, this text a lot because I just think it's so powerful. In John chapter 6 is a really long chapter in the Bible. But when you read it from start to finish, it's an amazing journey. Jesus feeds 5,000 men, not including women and children. And the crowd is amazed. Duh. I mean, can you imagine, right? We, we, we read these like it's a movie script or a novel. No, no, no. These people watched the miracle of the, the multiplication of, of bread and fish. Now, what did that look like? Like, did the fish get really giant and they cut off pieces of it? Like, I, I, I don't think so, by the way. Um, like, you just kept tearing off pieces and there was another piece there again? What did it look like? I don't know, but the crowd was amazed. They'd never seen anything like it. And I'll be honest with you, I've never seen anything like that. The crowd was so amazed that Jesus was like, okay, end scene, curtain fall, next. Removes himself. He sends his disciples ahead. He walks on water because he's Jesus. Crosses over the other side and the crowd pursues him. Right? Like, what are you going to do next? Have you ever pulled a rabbit out of a hat? (laughs) What are you going to do now? Jesus says, you're just following me because you think this is amazing. But understand this, I'm the bread of life. 
I alone in the bread of life. And they're like, well, I think that just sounds like he's saying things he shouldn't. All of a sudden they weren't as impressed. And then Jesus said these words, you can't inherit eternal life unless you eat my body and drink my blood. And they went, ew. And they left. They were like, I, the fish was fine, but <laughs> I didn't sign up for that. Can I see the menu, please? Like they, they removed themselves. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And I absolutely love Simon Peter's response. Where else would we go? You alone have the words of life. There's words that come from you that have life in them. And that's the first description we see here in the text of the word of God. The word of God is living. This word living is used 141 times in the New Testament. And, and, and I, I did like a study on it to see, is this an interesting word? It literally just means alive. It's not mysterious at all. It's a really common word for not dead. Right? Which makes it really mysterious. <laughs> like it's the common word for not dead, but we're talking about words. How do words have life? Because they were spoken by the life giver. That there's something about this book that when we interact with the word of God, not only is it alive, I find life in it. It's the ventilator. It's the life support system. It breathes life into me when I sit in it. Say, explain that. I can't. It's alive. I don't know. How can a book be alive? Because it's not a book. It's the living word of the living God. And and I, I wish I could understand that better. But the reality is I I'm taking it in faith so much so I'm basing my eternity on that. I so trust the word of God that all my chips are in on he's true. He knows what he's talking about. Should probably trust him and not me or you. It's his word. It's alive. It's living. And then we have this other description of God's word here. It's active. Now, this is not a common word. As a matter of fact, it's only used two other times in the whole New Testament. So it's a really interesting word that means it's at work. It is good at completing a task. It is taking next steps. God's word is active. It's at work in us. If I'm going to live a life of next steps... I believe I can only do that when it's stepping in me. I can take all kinds of steps on my own flesh. God has created us in his image, so I can walk a hundred different directions. But here's the thing. Most of those will not lead to life. If I want to take the next steps that lead to life, I need something stepping in me, for me, and with me that has more life in it than I have in me. That is the authority and the power of the word of God and nothing else. 
Like there's not a part two, there's not a this is kind of like that. No, no, no. There's nothing else in life that has next step power towards life like God's word. And I just got to ask you this morning. (laughs) Do you believe that? Like, do you believe, I didn't say do you understand, do you believe this book is alive and has life in it and will lead you in next steps? Do you believe that? And here's the thing about how it leads in next steps in my life. I usually don't notice how it's leading me in next steps. My GPS on my car says turn left here. Usually, God's word does a work in me where I look up and went, it just turned me left, and that's better. I didn't even realize the work it was doing, man. That, that's how powerful it is. It's not even always obvious. You find yourself thinking different and talking different and responding different, and you're like, I don't know where that step came from. It didn't come from you. It came from the thing that's alive outside of you. It did its work inside of you, and you find yourself stepping different. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Not I hope it will, not I wonder if it will. But the problem with people uh, like me who, who see areas in, in your life where you feel stuck, the problem is not that the word has lost its power, is that we're looking a million other places other than the word for our freedom and our rescue and our healing. It's only found in the word. There's nothing else. His word is alive. What kind of alive? A different kind of alive than any other word that's ever been. It's so alive that it is on the clock. It's active. It's clocked in. It's at work in us, leading and producing next steps in us. Here's the question. In what part of me? Yes. That same idea of how Jesus increased, he took next steps in a holistic way. We see this picture of a sword that's cutting away the mess in all of us. Real quick, let's, let's unpack this text. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Spiritual health, right? Jesus increased in favor with God. Of joints and marrow. That's physical health. Jesus increased in stature. Thoughts and intentions. That's thinking health. Jesus increased in wisdom. Of the heart. That's our emotional health. That's the seed of the mind, will, and emotions. Is the the biblical understanding of heart. And remember I told you the context of the text is rest for the people of God. It's in the context of relational community. God's word does its best work when it's at work in us together, holistically, not compartmentalized, not just for Sunday morning, but all of our life exposed the power of, of, of the word of God. It will take us in the next steps. And I just kind of ask, do you believe that? Do you believe there's that kind of power in this? 
And if we believe that, can we step like it? If we believe that, can we take some steps towards life, towards the active word of God together? I want to introduce to you this morning a Bible study method called the sword method. Here the writer of Hebrews says it's like this two-edged sword, right? I got to admit, this thing is just a lot of fun. Um, I've never in my life used a sermon illustration that was more fun. Um, Like distractingly fun. God's word is somehow like a sword, a two-edged sword. So no matter what direction it's moving, it's doing its work. Coming and going, (laughs) obvious and subtle, it's doing its work. There are a whole lot of great Bible study methods out there. They, I don't know who they is, have a bunch of great Bible study methods. I just want to teach you one called the sword method this morning. More importantly, I want to invite you into this Bible study method together as a church family this semester. Let me explain to you what it is, and then I'll explain to you what it's going to look like. So a sword is useless without the point. I mean, you can use it as a club, I suppose. But kind of the point of a sword is the point. And the point of every text is the God who's revealing himself in it. Maybe that didn't make enough sense. The point of the text is not, how does this make me feel? How does this help me be a better me? How does this intersect with my life's experiences? The point of the text is, what is God saying about God? It's his word. So the the, the sword method starts with saying, you read a text. Any text in the Bible, and here's the sword method. You ask the text, what does this text teach me about God? What's the point? And sometimes you'll read a text that you're like, this says a whole lot about God. And sometimes you read a text that you're like, I think this says one thing about him. So that, that's, that's the first point of the sword method. The S in the sword method, this is an acrostic, is, is there a standard in this text that I should follow? Is there an example that I should imitate? The way discipleship begins is by imitation. That's appropriate. It's appropriate that as we're growing in Christ, we see something in someone else's life and go, I think that looks more like Jesus than what I see in my life. I'm going to start imitating that. As we do that, the Holy Spirit grows that muscle memory in us in a powerful way. Now, that's not how the Christian life should always look, but that is where it starts. So we look at the text, specifically if it's a story, Do we see an example in that story that we're like, yeah, that looks good. Should probably act that way. It's that simple. Is there there a standard that should follow? Opposite side of that coin, is there a wrong response? Is there a wrong that I should avoid? Is there a sin that I should make sure is not a part of my life? If I'm reading a story and somebody curses God, well, that's not good, right? That's an obvious one. 
If I see somebody who's not compassionate to the needy, if I see somebody who's judgmental and accusatory and thinking themselves better than somebody else, ooh, that's a wrong to avoid, right? So I'm asking the question of the text. Do I see in this story these things? Here's the next one is, is there an observation about humankind? Is there something I can learn about what it means to be human in this text? And this is a big, big, for, it's just strange how the world changes. This is a big deal for today. Um, well, one, one author said it this way, good theology doesn't just teach us who God is, it teaches us who we are. I think um, there's a pervasive misunderstanding about the nature of humanity in our culture today. There's a, there's a technical or theological term for that. It's our anthropology. Anthropology is the doctrine of man. And a lot of us need some correction on our anthropology. So we look at the text and we ask the text, is there something I can learn in this text about what it means to be a human? An observation about what it means to be a people. R is this, is there a reason in this text that I can have hope today? Is there a reason for hope today? What if we started asking that question of nothing other than God's word? Instead of putting our hope in our plans, our bank accounts, our relationships, our feelings, what if we started rooting our hope in what has the word of God said to me today? I think a lot of times you'll find that reason for hope in the first question. As we see the character and nature of God, we find things worth hoping in, worthy of hope. And then the last one is is last on purpose, because this is really where the conversation needs to end. Is there a decree to obey? Is God commanding something? We're going to walk through some, some texts together over the next few months. One of them is going to talk about making disciples. And one of the things we're going to see is God's word does not say some of you should think about possibly making disciples. Actually, what he says is make disciples. I don't know if I'm good at it. Time out, man. Like when God commands something, it's not debate time. It's not past the buck time. It's not that's for somebody else time. When God's word was preserved for his people, it applies to his people. So if we claim to be his people and his word says make disciples, then that means I'm commanded to be in the disciple making business. Maybe not vocationally, maybe not all day long every day, but that everything I do is colored by this is a command from God. Maybe there's... Maybe God's word's a little more simple than we make it out to be. Maybe it's as simple as am I obeying or am I disobeying? This is just a set of questions that can help you engage with any text in the Bible. Now hang with me here. I constantly hear from people that they, they feel like they can't understand the Bible or they don't know enough about the Bible or that they're intimidated by the Bible. And I'm just telling you, this is a tool you can put in your toolbox that you can use with any passage of Scripture in all of God's Word. Now, not every text is going to have an answer to every question, right? If it's a text that is just explaining the character of God, then there's not going to be a wrong to avoid, But there's going to be a whole lot of reasons to have hope. (laughs) Make sense? If it's a text that's about uh, the character and nature of God, there might not be a decree that we have to obey. It's just God revealing himself. 
So every question might not have an answer in the text, but every question helps us learn to think for ourselves about the text. Does that make sense? So here's what I'm asking us to do. In the context of our community groups, we're, we're going to do something starting in just a couple weeks. Um, community groups start back on January the 25th. That Wednesday night, um, when you come to your community group, you're going to get handed three things by your community group facilitator. First thing they're going to hand you is a little card that has these questions on it. If you use a paper Bible, the idea is that you'll use this as a bookmark for the text that we're studying together that week and as your kind of cheat code. If you're a person who likes to study the Bible on a tablet or on a phone or whatever, your community group leader is also going to be able to text you or email you a graphic of this that you can save to your photos for all of you who are under the age of 30. But regardless of your age, we're asking you to do something that maybe you've never done before. We're going to ask you to also take a journal. It's even got the nice little next steps words there. We're going to ask you to take a journal. We're going to ask you to do this. We're, we're, the third piece of paper is going to be which text are we reading which week? So the way that will work is this. First community group is January the 25th. You'll see on your reading plan that starting Thursday the 26th for seven days, we're going to ask you to read a couple very small pieces of scripture. Every day for seven days. And every day for seven days, we're going to ask you to ask the same set of questions of the text. And let me repeat that. Ask the questions of the text. Don't ask you. Don't ask your feelings. Don't ask your life experience. Ask the text these questions. And then the next Wednesday, you'll come together and you'll share your answers together. What did the Lord say to you? I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. I'm seminary degrees and all that mess. Every time I've done this with people who are like brand new into following Jesus, I've learned from them. Other people have answers to questions because the Spirit spoke to them through the same text in in a powerful way. That's how the Spirit works. He's living and active in his word. And so, yeah, I promise you, you're going to learn something from that. So uh, what's the goal? Uh, the first goal is already up there. Let, let me talk about that for a second. Um, a new year and goal setting, right? One of the top trends on TikTok for the last two weeks has been hashtag 2023 goals. Even Gen Z's getting in on goal setting for the new year. Um, I actually have some goals for this study together. Goal number one is really simple. That we will read the word for ourselves. Now, maybe you are a really diligent reader of the word. Maybe you hear this and go, I don't need help getting in the word. I read plenty of the word and need no help in my Bible, my Bible study. Is that anybody here today? I'm, I'm not there today. Um... I preached four times in the last week, and I need more of God's word from me. (laughs) So I I don't know. This might just be, if you're you're killing it in your Bible study, I would ask that this just be an addition to your Bible study. And maybe for the rest of us, you'd say, you know what? For a, a couple months, I read more of God's word than I've ever read in my life. And I don't mean more in quantity. These passages we're going to do are actually really short. We're sitting in 
some short passages. Let me tell you what that's going to look like. We're going to give you two passages of Scripture uh, per week. One's just the idea. It's, it's usually just like a single verse or maybe two. Here's the idea. But then the passage we really want you to marinate in is a story. It's a narrative. So it's easy to think about. It's not some deep passage in Romans that you're like, I don't think Paul knew what this meant. It's narratives. It's stories. So you're walking through a story every day for seven days and asking the same questions of the story. What does this teach me about God? Is there a standard to follow, a wrong to avoid, an observation about people? Is there... A reason for hope is there a decree to obey. We're just asking these questions of the text. So number one is that we'll read the word. And then that's number two, that we will actually study the word. That maybe if we've read a verse a day before or even done a reading plan before, that this time is more like, no, I'm really actually sitting in the word. I've got, I'm just going to tell you that there's, there's power in the psychology of reading with a pen in your hand. If you will read with a pen in your hand and a journal open, I'm just telling you, you'll read differently. And you don't have to believe me. Just take me at my word and, and, and test me. <laughs> Promise you, we will read different with a pen in our hand. So a journal open, a, a pen in our hand. Maybe journaling is not something you've ever done before, and this will be a brand new discipline. And then the third idea is that we would then come together on the seventh day and talk about the word. Like that we would normalize having conversations about what God's word said to us. Isn't that such a simple goal? Read the word, say the word, talk about the word. That's it. I believe that that's how we take next steps. I I do want to say this. We're not going to come together and talk about the word to try to show off on the most insightful answer in the room. The goal is not to always be the deepest person who had the deepest answer. It's, It's to listen with spiritual eyes, not show off eyes, right? So we're not trying to impress. We're trying to grow. We're trying to take next steps. What's God's word say here? What am I hearing from the Father from this text? I believe transformation happens there. I want to say this as well. This goal is already what we have been doing and will continue doing with our elementary and preschool kiddos on Wednesday nights. I want to speak to parents of of young students for just a minute. We're already taking Sunday's Bible story, and then on Wednesday night, having the students reread or the young people reread that and to think about it. They're not necessarily journaling, and then they're having conversations about God's Word. This is actually us as the adults starting to practice for this semester the same thing our kids already do. And I say that because I just want to say I, I see you and I hear you being a parent of a young kid. Midweek is really hard. I absolutely understand. Dragging your kids, especially those of us who are TCS families, we're like, am I ever not at 6824 Randall Mill Road? Ever. I'm just telling you, I believe that God's word changes little lives too. We're trying to normalize in their little hearts and lives that healthy followers of Jesus 
read the word, study the word, and talk about the word together. So get your kiddos here. And, and on the weeks that your community group is serving, please see that as serving. It's not child care. You're serving little disciples who are growing in a relationship with the word. Now, if you're changing diapers, that, that's, that's just ministry. <laughs> for the rest of you, for the rest of you, you just see that now you're like, discipleship? Anyways, um, hey, sometimes discipleship stinks. Okay, uh, anyways. So if you're not in a group, I, I, this is just such a great time to plug in for this semester. Um, we'll end before the complete chaos of the end of the school year for all of our school parents. Um, and I, I will say this, if, if maybe you're new and you don't really know anybody here, but maybe you feel like we kind of know each other because I stand up here and talk. Um, I've been so passionate about this for so long that I asked Stan Wood if I could do a hostile takeover of his group. I'm actually going to be leading a group. This, this is so passionate to me. Um, it wasn't hostile because uh, I'm pretty sure he could kick my butt. It was actually, Stan, do you mind if I please? Um, and so if you don't know anybody, you feel like you know me, come to my group. Let's just walk through this together. Like, let's go. Let's do this. Let's, let's plug in. And walk through God's word together and just see what next steps he might lead us in. Now, if you're not able to be in a community group on Wednesday nights or for ladies on Sunday morning. If you're not able to be in a community group. Not if you don't want to be in a community group. If you're not able to be in a community group, we don't want you to feel left out. And so if, if Wednesday nights is impossible for you, after the benediction today, Pastor Lance is going to be at the Welcome Center with journals, copies of the question card, and the plan of scripture texts for the nine weeks to give you. So uh, if, if you can't come on Wednesdays, you're not on the outside looking in. Uh, we've got a plan for you as well. Just see Lance when we're done. Let me share this story and, and then I'll be done this morning. In 2016, I was asked by a good friend of mine who pastors up in North Richland Hills, Sean Edwards. Uh, he's an alum of Temple Christian School. Um, he's become a great friend to me. He asked me to, and Brian Loveless, to come with him to Uganda to train pastors in refugee camps. And we met together to talk about, okay, what would we go do in this training? And he said, well, the International Mission Board wants us to at least cover these three things. This is what they're teaching all over the world. There's a specific evangelism plan that, that they're teaching all over the world. And there was a specific church planting structure that they're teaching all over the world. And then there was this how to teach people to study the Bible for themselves thing called the sword method. And I was not happy about using the sword method because I've never used that before. I had to teach something I'd never done. And of course, because I have sin in my life, I'm like, my idea is way better than this idea because I didn't have this idea. And then I started studying this idea and I'm like, these are really great questions. This is a really helpful tool. And then in 2017, we actually flew to Uganda and traveled from refugee camp to refugee camp and these pastors were so eager to hear how can I understand the Bible on my own because I'm all alone I had no 
community of believers. I'm alone in a refugee village. I have fled with nothing. There were men who literally had the clothes on their back and their Bible. And that was it. And then we're teaching this to to a bunch of amazing men and women of God who've never been taught how to read. They have this, for lack of a, a better explanation, like an iPod shuffle looking thing. That's just the scripture. They, they listen to God's word. But they're such good auditory learners. We said those questions a couple times and they had them memorized. And we watched them listen to the word. And as they're listening, they're asking those questions of the word. And we're watching their eyes light up with this whole new understanding of the word that just a simple tool helped them. And I was like, okay, maybe this is a good idea. And then I was told this. In the places on the planet where Christianity is growing the fastest and the strongest around the world today, this is the method thousands of missionaries are using to teach people how to study the Word. This morning, while we were all asleep in our beds, there are followers of Jesus in China who got up with their Bibles and asked those six questions of the text that they read today. In the Middle East this morning, before we got up, there are followers of Jesus who got their Bibles out and asked these same six questions of the text. And I just think that's holy. And because you sent me there, there's some followers of Jesus in Uganda who got up today. And ask these six questions of the text. And the reason I think that's interesting is the Lord's leading us into this season right as we're about to embark on missions emphasis for 2023. The last Sunday in January, the 29th, will be our first missions emphasis Sunday. So the first week we're starting to do this method together, we're going to turn our attention to the needs of the nations. While we're doing the same Bible study method That our brothers and sisters are doing all over the world. And I just think that's powerful. And so when I say I'm asking for us to do this together, I don't just mean together. I mean like a capital T together. People that one day we'll stand before the throne of God with. We're we're studying the word with people who speak a different language. That's a pretty powerful invitation. Now, I want to speak this. If, If you... If you start doing this and you're like, man, I only read the text three days this week, but that's three days more than I usually read the Bible. We are celebrating that with you. If you're like, man, I asked all these questions and I only got like two answers. We are celebrating that with you. When you come together in that circle, you've got nothing to prove. You've got nothing to earn. No one is keeping score. And if they are, we will lovingly call them out. We're not going to create that kind of culture here. This is an invitation to next steps in your relationship with the word. I want you to hear what I'm about to say, not as condemning or shaming, but I want you to hear what I'm about to say from a hurting heart. If your primary relationship with God's word is through me, you are missing out on so much that God has for your next steps. 
you are literally putting yourself in park on the journey. If your relationship with God's word is through Sunday mornings and Lance's Bible study or through your community group facilitator, you are only holding yourself back from next steps. God's word is God's word for you. And this is just a tool to help you grow in this. Even if you've got an awesome method that you love and you're used to using, we're going to ask you to also, let's do the sword method for the next several weeks. I'll end by saying this, because this is what we say every week. If you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, that's the first step. As a matter of fact, one of the evidences that we've been born again is that God's word makes some sense to us. We think apart from the spirit of God, this is white noise. It's foolishness. And so we want to encourage you to make sure you've taken first steps. And so if you don't know for sure you have a relationship with Jesus as we sing our final hymn this morning, there'll be some folks in the prayer room in the back, or you can text pray FW to 94,000. We'd love to come alongside those questions you might have. If you are confident in your relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray a real simple prayer as we sing this next song. I'm going to ask you to ask the Heavenly Father, will you speak to me in the next few months? In a whole new way. Will you speak to me? And I'm going to ask you to pray that, not plural, not us. I'm going to ask you to pray that for your own next steps. God, speak to me. Maybe you as a family want to pray that together this morning. Maybe you want to come kneel here and pray. I'm asking you, would you please cry that out to God?